0: And gospel with Dr. Helissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Hey, Shabbat Shalom. Today, I want to look at how the, the commandments affect us as individuals. When we read a commandment, often we're going to have different reactions to that commandment based on where we are in our lives. It might be, how have we developed as a human being? The way you look at a commandment when you're six years old might be much different than the way that you look at the commandment when you're 60 years old. The way that you look at that commandment when you know you're actively breaking it might be different than the way you look at the commandment when you know you're not breaking that one. So there's all sorts of perspectives that will factor into how we read a commandment. And what I noticed as I was reading this particular passage in Exodus last Sunday is that the experience at Mount Sinai, as it's described in the book of Exodus, is that there's a lot of twos that keep popping up, in, in the account, and, and I just jotted down a few of them. You can probably go back into that the experience at Mount Sinai and find more than just the ones I jotted down. But in the, the experience of Mount Sinai and the giving of the Torah and so forth, I noticed that there were two tablets. Um, there were even two sets of two tablets. They had two kinds of affirmations to the commandments when they heard them. They Some was i'm thinking of uh i'm thinking of something else but the two affirmations specifically will we will do and we will hear we will do and we will hear just a way of saying we will obey them but they they said yes we will obey in two affirmations we will do we will hear there were two kinds of commandments there were positive commandments you will do this and there were negative commandments you won't do this The waiting period, if you'll remember, there was, you know, he said, immerse yourselves, wash your clothes, and be ready for the third day. And so there's a little bit of vagueness in the text as to whether it was a two or three day waiting period. And I think the answer, as we're looking at at how the days are calculated, uh, the answer is going to be yes. Was it two days? Yes. Was it three days? Yes. But by asking that there be a three-day waiting period or a three-day preparation period to be ready on the third day, what that does, there's a subtext there that ensures that both the men and the women are able to stand there before the presence and receive the commandments. Women require a little bit of extra time without getting too graphic. We don't want to get too specific with it at least not in mixed company, but that three-day waiting period, it ensured that, you know, after the immersion, that women could also be present and, and stand on equal footing in terms of affirming the commandments. So we have two genders. So therefore we have both male and female witnesses. We have the fire in the water on the mountain, you know, it was, it was dripping it says, but there was also smoke and fire we had two types of tellings. We had the 10 words that were told in the hearing of Israel, all Israel, all the witnesses. And then we had Moses going up the mountain to get clarification on those 10 words. And um, we might say he got 603 more as clarifications of the 10 for a total of 613. So there's, there's all sorts of twos that uh, keep appearing. It's like, it gives you two different perspectives just like the two tellings. You get the short story in the Ten Commandments, and then you get the long story through Moses. You get the male perspective from the male witnesses. You get the female perspective from the female witnesses. You get the fire and the water. Uh, You have the positive and the negative commandments. Uh, You have the we will do and we will hear. Obedience does have to start with hearing, but then you have to do it. And so obedience doesn't start with the doing. Obedience starts with the hearing. So there's two perspectives on what it means to obey. You even have to, two different ways that the tablets are written. Remember, Adonai himself wrote with his finger on what is thought to be sapphire tablets that were given to Moses the first time. But then the second time, it, he, he gave it to Moses, but it was written through Moses' hand is what it says. So there's a, a direct Writing and inscribing, and then it's through Moses. It's through the hand of a human being. So there's all sorts of of different twos to pay attention to, and we know with the two tellings, just like we have the Ten Commandments, and then we have the rest of them. We have 603 more given to Moses on the mountain. We still know that all those 613 commandments that were given at the two tellings that. They all hang on really just two, is what Yeshua said. He says, you have to love Adonai, and you have to love people. And all the commandments are going to hang on that. So we could kind of look at it as a progression there. We've got two commandments, two of the greatest, to love Adonai, to love people. And then we've got 10 words that will hang on those two. And then we have the clarifications of these, the the rest of them, to fulfill the number 613, that are going to hang on those ten that are hanging on the two, so really it all hangs on two. Uh, even in the clarifications, even if you look at the commandments themselves, the the content of the commandments themselves, loving Adonai and loving his people can be expressed in the very same commandment. For instance, if you're commanded to bring in the first fruits and the tithes, then you're loving Adonai because you're obeying him, you're doing what he told you to do, but you're also loving the priests, the Levites, the stranger, the alien, the orphan, the widow, all those to whom this would be distributed. And so, yes, when, when you keep a commandment, you're fulfilling those two requirements of the scripture. You're expressing love to Adonai, and you're expressing love to people, leaving a field, the corners of a field to the poor, you do that because you love Adonai and keep his commandments, just like Yeshua said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But it ministers directly to the human beings who are going to come and access the corners of your field, what, what you have left for the poor to have. And so there's two kinds of commandments that are necessary. And I thought of a toddler in the terrible twos. And if you think of that stage of development, the, the I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long they've been called the terrible twos, but probably for thousands of years. But we know by the age of two, they're walking and they're beginning to talk. And so they can say things, they can draw things, they can reach things, they can throw things, they can touch things. And we know they're going to start asking why a thousand times per day. And they won't even slow down. They'll hit the age of three and it'll still be why, why, why. No matter what answer you give, there will be a why on the end of it. They're not asking why necessarily because they understand your answer. Often the, the answer is really beyond their brain development. They can't comprehend the answer to why. So they keep asking Of course, they're going to keep asking. If they don't understand it, they're going to keep asking why. Maybe eventually you will drop some information that they can understand. So it's not that you're not answering. It's just that it's beyond their development at that age. And I think often we do the same with the Father in heaven. We keep asking why, 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 why. We read the Torah. And when we get done reading the Torah portion, we have more whys than we started with. We're why, 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 why. And you know what? He gives us answers to why, but we're just not catching some of it because it's beyond our development in the word at that spiritual age. And so in the same way, those little terrible twos, they're going to keep asking why, whether you answer them or not. And often they're just playing with the language. They learn certain words. They learn that certain words get a reaction. Certain words have power. And why is one of those go-to words, it definitely. Because when you ask why, you get a reaction out of someone, you get a response. And if you need attention at that point or entertainment, then of course you're going to ask why. Now, some words are also powerful, uh, like no. Once they they grab onto no, they and they sense the power of that word, because they can sense it when the no is being directed at them, And they think, hey, I'll try this word out. There's a lot of power in this word. When you say no, people listen. And so they'll go through phases where they'll start telling everybody no. And they'll even do things they know they're not supposed to do. And they'll tell themselves, no, 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 no. Well, I've got news for us. We are all children of Elohim. And we have our terrible twos. We do. We go through the terrible twos. In fact, sometimes I'm I'm not really joking when I tell people this. I say, look, if you're new to the Torah, and you've been studying for three years, you'll never know more than you knew when you had studied the Torah for three years. It's like about the age of three, we think we know everything that's in the Torah and we have the answers and the solutions to all problems. And then once we grow past that point, we realize we don't know anything about the Torah. That Every time we pick it up, we we learn something that tells us how much we don't know. So it's the same with the Father in heaven. We're His children. He knows we're going to go through our terrible twos. We're going to start asking why, 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 why? We're not necessarily going to like the no-nos. It's the same thing. But here's the great, great thing about it. In Hebrew, a word is its own opposite. It's called a contronym. For an example, in English, the easiest contronym, I think, to explain to people what that means is the English word "cleave." cleave can mean to cut something in two, but it can also mean to hold it close. So cleave is at the same time something that separates and something that unites. Hebrew words are like that. It's just going to depend upon your relationship to that word. Are you in obedience? Are you in disobedience? It will determine many times what your relationship is with that particular Hebrew word. So the Hebrew word I'm talking about is norah, norah. In modern Hebrew, if you say, lo norah, it means it's it's not terrible. Okay, so norah means terrible in Hebrew. And so if it's not that terrible, we say, lo norah. it's not that bad, right? Did you go get a, a shot today? Lo norah. it wasn't that bad. <laughs> of course, on the other hand, it, it may have been pretty terrible. So it was norah. But it's a contronym. So it doesn't just mean awful and terrible. It means awesome. Like, wow, that was awesome. So think about moving beyond love Adonai and love people. These are the basics. And these really, it's like, if you think of loving Adonai and loving people, just saying those words, it's not measurable. If I love Adonai, how are you going to measure that? Is it in centimeters? Is it in liters? Is it in inches? Is it in tons? Well, love doesn't have that sort of measurement. If I say love people, how much do I love them? Do I give a dollar at the office for somebody who's on extended leave? Or do I dedicate 20% of my salary for a year to a particular charity? Do I measure it in dollars? Not necessarily. You you can't really measure it with dollars. You can't measure it with time so much because often what we give in dollars or what we give in time maybe it's self-serving maybe we want people to notice that we're doing good things for people so the love it's it's kind of it's hard to get your arms around it's it's hard to get your mind around because in the end that love equation can only be calculated by Adonai he knows how much love we have for him he knows how much love we have for people and because it's so vague when we're introducing it to these very young children as they're just beginning to, you know, begin to use the language. How do we introduce a concept like loving the father and loving his people? Well, we start teaching them simple prayers. We teach them about thankfulness. Uh, we, We teach them how to say maybe grace before meals or grace after meals. We teach them bedtime prayers. We might teach them other blessings. And, In that way, there's something concrete we can do that will help them begin to internalize what love for the Father is. Acknowledging, first of all, that he's the creator and he's there to be prayed to, number one. Then we can start working on the details of what it means to love Adonai. Sometimes, you know, as we think about how do we teach them to love people? Well, again, how do you measure that? And because love is such a vague thing at that age. And and typically, even as we learn more about love, we associate it with a feeling, not always a feeling. Sometimes it's a decision, it's an action. So there's a vagueness there that's difficult to measure. So, you know, with that two-year-old, we might say very vague things that somehow kids seem to know when mom says play nice, they kind of seem to know what she's talking about. Share. Be sure and share. That may be a harder one uh, for them to to be able to obey, not necessarily understand. I think they understand exactly what it means. It's just a harder one to obey. Play nice. Um, It's very vague. So we too, we have to move beyond just love Adonai and love his people. Now we have to approach these 10 words on the mountain. And we know that as we approach these 10 words and we try to make them more concrete in our lives, eventually they will, we won't end up doing 613 commandments because there's a minimal number that could apply to any given individual because there's priest commandments, there's Levite commandments, there's father commandments, there's mother commandments, there's husband commandments, there's wife commandments, there's merchant commandments, there's farmer commandments. a very small number will actually apply to any individual. So I... It takes a nation to do 613. But out of those 10 words, there there will be a certain collection of commandments that also extend to us. But when we go back to the mountain and we look at the reaction of the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, they're only hearing 10. In fact, they only heard a couple there at the beginning. And they went to Moses and said, Moses, look, you go talk to him. And then you come back and tell us what he said. Okay, if we hear any more, we will die. That's pretty profound. If we hear ten whole words, if we hear ten whole commandments, we'll die. So just imagine. <laughs> why did it take forty years in the wilderness? Well, maybe that's how long it took them to get through the six hundred and thirteen without dying. I don't know, but their reaction to it is what's not a not amusing, but it's profound. That just ten commandments was terrible to hear, or. Was it awesome to hear? It was Norah. Was it terrible or was it awesome? Well, to some of them, apparently it was very terrible. They thought it would kill them. To Moses, clearly it's awesome. But there were two kinds of commandments that they were listening to. There were positive commandments you will. There were negative commandments you don't. Don't do this. No. There's yeses and there's no's. Um, It reminds me of. Will Carr's son, a few years back at Sukkot, and he went up to Alan and uh, he said, You just have to remember this one thing Mama's head is full of yeses, and Daddy's head is full of (laughs) noes. So maybe that's why we needed both the males and the females standing at the mountain. It's two different perspectives of the commandments. Sometimes we see we like the yeses, and sometimes you know we we like the no's it just kind of depends on the person I guess but if you think about it play nice and say grace really do develop into a lot of no no's for a two-year-old loving Adonai and loving his people also develops into a lot of no no's for adults and that word no is powerful i mean i know you've heard two and three year olds i mean they've got gusto when they're When they're saying like, no, 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 they can get that down and and actually do better than mom and dad sometimes with their no-nos. It's a powerful word and they know it's going to get attention, but it's necessary in the development of the child for them to not just understand what no-no is. Yes, they're playing with language at first, trying to figure out what it is. And then they're going to understand, well, when they say no, no, I need to stop whatever it is I'm doing, because clearly what I'm doing is bringing on this no, no, and, and they're not kidding. <laughs> so, but eventually, we need that child to trust us when we say no, no, we don't need to say no, no 20 times like I do to the Bulldogs. They know they probably got a good 10, 15 times they can get away with it, probably before there's a consequence. Children are a little more important. Uh, children are human beings with the spirit of Elohim in them. And when we say no to a child, what we want to do is train them that when we say no, they stop because it won't be long when that little hand is going to reach up to the stove and you don't need to say no, no 15 times before the hand stops. You need, when they hear no the first time, they need to freeze so that you're not in the emergency room with third degree burns. If they start chasing their ball into the street without looking, which even grownups do that sometimes, when we say no, we need them to immediately stop so that they don't get run over. When we see them pulling the dog's ears, we need to say no, and it needs to stop immediately because we don't want them to be bitten by a dog who doesn't want his ears pulled. There's so many things in life where when when we hear no, we need to stop immediately. Stop now. Look around. And if the no was unnecessary, we can resume what we were doing. But if it was necessary, it might have saved our life. And that's what we see in the commandments. These are the tree of life. These are the words of life. And so, yes, much of life is, yes, do this, do this. But much of life is... No, don't, don't do that. That turn of phrase that that sparked all this for me is found in Exodus 20, verse 1. And it just starts, I'm not even looking at the whole commandment. I'm just looking at the beginning. And it says, God spoke all these words to say. That's odd wording. God spoke, the bar, all these words to say. So does that double up? Like he spoke them and said them? Well, no, that's unnecessary. So the sages looked at this turn of phrase and looked at the context and, you know, other places where it's been used. And what they understand of this particular phrase is that it has a two pronged approach. This is actually a conversation. It's not just you know, Adonai spoke these words, that the Israelites are actually speaking back to him. And so as he gives the word, as he gives the commandment, he's inviting the Israelites to affirm each commandment that he says to them. So he speaks the bar, the commandment, and then they are to affirm, in turn, say, emor, to say, emor. So he spoke, and they say, and they say, and they say the Israelites, the point of this is as he speaks the commandment, they are going to respond to him verbally. They say that Israelites would answer yes to that which was positive and no to that which was negative. In other words, as he's going through these 10 words, they're saying, yes, we will honor our parents. No, we will not steal. He's evoking from them a verbal response. Most of us learn the commandments passively. We're reading our Bibles and we read the commandments and we think about it. We contemplate it. Maybe we'll read a commentary like this commentary on Rashi to Exodus 20 verse 1. This is a very passive way of learning. But in this way of learning, if, if we understand what's happening, He's the father's having a conversation with the child and he's asking the child, repeat back to me what I said. And I've done that before when I used to teach high school. And when you're giving instructions, especially for homework or for assignments, you want to make sure the child understands exactly what it is so he won't do the wrong page, won't do the wrong worksheet. We don't want that child to invest the time doing the wrong thing. Well, the Father in Heaven has the same approach. I don't want you to invest your time doing the wrong thing. So repeat back to me what I said. Uh, Parents do it with their children all the time. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Now repeat back to me what I just said. That's an important part of the teaching process. And it's not just so we can catch them later when they didn't do what we say. It's so we are sure they understood exactly what was expected of them. And it plants those seeds more deeply because verbally, when you answer someone, there's a little bit different part of your brain that's activated. You're you're getting double. uh, It's not just passive listening. Now it becomes active. I'm saying it back to you. Now I'm investing in the conversation. So they had the opportunity when they said the commandments back, when they affirmed them, they could experience the awesomeness of the yeses and they could sense the terribleness of his nose because his presence is right there on the mountain. We need both. We have to affirm both of these, both the positives and the negatives because it preserves our lives. It keeps us from running into to oncoming traffic. It keeps us from burning our hands It keeps us from pulling the dog's ears. And he's giving us the instructions for life, both in this world and the world to come. And that gives us an opportunity to be awesome, both in the yeses and terrible in the noes. What do I mean by that? You need to be totally awesome doing a positive commandment. And you need to have the mind of a Messiah. Of just how terrible the no's are. Imagine how Yeshua feels about stealing. Imagine how Yeshua feels about coveting. Imagine how Yeshua feels about these no's and take on the fervor of that two year old learning no. Attach the same fervor to the no's as somebody in their terrible twos or threes. So there's positive commandments, they're awesome right? But what about the no's? Those can be just as important because again, they're there to preserve your life. So be excited about the no commandments. Imagine if we were that enthusiastic about the no's as a two-year-old, because number one, they don't understand. (laughs) They don't really get everything about, they just love the power of the word no. Okay. Take that same power, that same thrill of saying no and just attach it to that negative commandment. No, I won't steal. No, I won't covet. No, I won't swear falsely. Oh, no, I won't worship an idol. You see what a great training method that is? When we're going through the terrible twos of the Ten Commandments, if we could take the power of yes and the power of no and to obedience then I think it really does build a foundation for receiving the remaining commandments. The training in the full 613 that Moses is going to come instruct them in when he returns. Now, it's a great idea, but what do we know about two-year-olds? They need lots of reinforcement. You can't turn your back for a minute. They're going to draw all over your walls with permanent markers a lot of bad things can happen, right? A lot of property damage can happen if you turn your back just for a minute. So we know there's lots of reteaching and remediation and the terrible twos and the threes and the fours, but we're no different. Even as grown human beings, sometimes we don't remember the no's very well. Not this nose. the no's, don't do that. And just like kids, we don't like to hear no. Now, it's fine if it applies to somebody else. If if a no-no is being applied to someone else, then we want to make sure that they're observing that no-no. But when the no-no applies to us, we're not that enthusiastic about it. I've even heard parents say they don't like to discipline their children in church or in a congregation because they don't want them to hate going there. Now, they will complain about other people's kids, but sometimes parents... They don't want to say or enforce the no's on children. And I know when I taught high school, you know, we always got the parent-teacher conferences and what was that called? Open house or something where the parents would come by. There weren't very many parents that would come by. Uh, By the time they get to high school, I don't know if they didn't care, (laughs) just thought it was, you know, past helping. But I always appreciated when the parents would come by. But often I would notice that, especially if the child was with them, they didn't act the same around their parents as they did in class. They might be very well behaved in the classroom, but then I would hear them being real smart and to their parents, which bothered me, which I've always heard that kids act better away from their parents than they do with their parents. And we want to hope that's the case. But nevertheless, honor your father and mother. But in those conversations with parents, I would hear them say, well, I don't want to discipline my children excessively because I don't want to break their spirit. I don't want to make them hate school. You know what? It's got a tune and you can dance to it, but it's empty. Because what I was really hearing is they needed their teenagers to like them. And so they couldn't bring themselves to say the no's and enforce them. Somehow their own self-esteem was more valuable than that child. And they're still children at teenager. I know they think they know everything in the world. They're still children. Their brains are still developing. Their ability to predict consequences is still developing. And somehow that parent's self-esteem, I want my, my child to like me, was more important than teaching that child to respect the boundaries in these smaller things so that later they would respect them in the bigger things as adults. Because see, when a teacher sends you to the principal's office, there's a consequence for that. But maybe if a, a policeman pulls you over on the side of the road for speeding, if he suspects you know, that there's there's some sort of impairment, how you react to that policeman might be a much different thing than the way the principal might talk to a 15-year-old. So if they can learn to respect the principal and the teacher at 15, it might save their lives at 21. It's little by little. We train them. And there's really no danger you're going to break their spirit. Okay, we're not talking about wild horses here. What's happening is you're training the soul. Without the spirit, the child would be dead anyway. It's the spirit of Elohim in them. So if we're talking about the Holy Spirit, you can't break that. Uh, And, you know, the child is alive. What you're talking about is the soul of the child. Uh, There is no such thing as a free spirit. But there is such a thing as a free soul that has been undisciplined. Yeshua came to save our souls because our souls are rowdy. It's our life force. It's called the nefesh in Hebrew. And remember, it consists of, I think I feel I want. I think I feel I want. If you discipline, I think I feel I want, it is not going to break your spirit. So I'm going to kill you. You're only going to feel like you're being killed. But that's just the soul masquerading as the spirit. It always does. But the Holy Scripture, and we know the the Torah is spiritual. That's what Paul wrote to the Romans. The spirit can train souls. So the scripture, the words, the commandments train the thinking, feeling, and the wanting of human beings, whether they're in their terrible twos or their terrible (laughs) seventies. We're born in need of nurturing. We're born in need of training. The soul needs to be trained. It needs to be disciplined. And sometimes the training's uncomfortable. When the training is uncomfortable, the soul will tell us, you're dying. And what does the proverb say? You're not going to kill your son if you discipline him. <laughs> he's only going to feel like he's dying. But that's just that very painful process of the spirit of ch- the child being allowed to come into alignment with the word. It's not an easy process sometimes. What do we know? You know, the, the most famous line, a uh, verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The most loving thing that Adonai did for us required for him to endure hearing his son Yeshua plea. Please, please let this cup pass from me. This is going to hurt. Daddy, this is going to hurt. Imagine the father hearing his only begotten son cry in desperation on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, his perfect son. You don't think that caused pain to his father? Hearing him cry out to his father, the pain of a father in that situation is unimaginable. And his human mother Miriam, she's standing right there watching this. She had to bring up Yeshua knowing he would suffer torture and death, but love of the father and the mother toward the son. And, you know, they weren't afraid he wouldn't enjoy being the Messiah in the millennium if he endured our tribulation on the cross. Yeshua endured the discipline on our behalf on this earth. The pain of our souls was laid on him. And he doesn't hate us. He loves us. He doesn't hate churches and synagogues. He loves us. Look how much he loved us. Look how much the father loved us. He put his son through that because of love. Sparing a child discomfort is no demonstration of love. It can be. But that's not how you quantify that. Remember, love, it's it's slippery. What does it mean? How do you measure it? Sometimes love requires us to discipline children in the same way that love required the Father to discipline Yeshua on our behalf. That had to have been painful. And so, yes, all of us have trouble remembering to do our yeses and our noes. We forget our training sometimes. And as we watch, especially the younger children, beginning to internalize some of the, the easier commandments, even some of the more difficult ones that, that grownups have trouble with. I've seen children defend kosher eating with way more tenacity and vigor than I've ever heard grownups ups Children, they can awe us. It can be awesome when they embrace a commandment, when they embrace the word. And you know what? It can feel pretty terrible when they forget, when they disappoint us. It's part of the growth. It's just part of the process we go through. It's the same process the Father goes through with us. And you know what? In spite of their failures, Adonai guided Israel through their terrible and awesome twos he led them through the tweens. He led them through the teens. He led them 40 years until they were ready to cross the Jordan River. The same way our children, they're going to need correction between today and the promised land. This is something you can write down. I don't know if anybody's ever said it before. If they have, I think it was a great statement, but it is just something that came to me yesterday. So I this is something to write down. Children do not hate because they are disciplined. They hate the discipline. Children do not hate because they are disciplined. hate the discipline. And we hate discipline. We do too. We are the children of Israel. And we don't like discipline. So we train children to affirm the no's. Sometimes we train them school behavior. We train them congregational behavior. We train them... Grocery store behavior. We train them. Family event behavior. And as we train them, as we discipline them, to accept the nos with the same enthusiasm as the yeses. Sometimes a parent is going to hear some pitiful cries, or even some angry ones. You're going to hear things like, "I hate you," or "You hate me." And every parent hates that. But see, the the grown up has to be the translator. The child does not mean I hate you. And in many cases, they're too young to even know what hate is. I mean, just the same way that they're not born knowing what love is, they're not born knowing what hate is. What they're saying is, I feel bad because you're making me behave in a certain way that is not natural or comfortable for myself. Or they're saying, I just lost my challenge to your authority and I'm angry. That's all it means. It doesn't mean they hate you. But see, our self-esteem, our ego, our need to feel good about ourselves should not weigh more heavily, we have to stand up and be the translator and say, the child does not hate me. They're just, the soul is being made uncomfortable right now. That's all it means. That child does not hate you. And that child is not going to hate going to the places where he or she is disciplined, unless the child is kind of resolved not to change the behavior in those places. Because, you know, terrible too is Tommy. He's probably not going to refuse going to the grocery store. Next time, even if you did take him to the car early for snatching things off the shelves the last time, because hope springs eternal, right? There's always that possibility of scoring a box of Panda Puffs or Cheetah Chomps in the future. He's not going to develop a lifetime aversion to grocery stores if he's disciplined there a few times. So I don't think we need to hold up our congregational attendance as something of less value. Yes, the child will probably go to grocery stores the rest of his life. And hopefully the child will attend a believing congregation the rest of his life. And so are we investing more time teaching Terrible Two's Tommy right behavior in the grocery store or maybe the doctor's office than we are in our local congregation? Are we not even attending a congregation because we don't want to fight the battles with Terrible twos, Tommy and Tina? See, Yeshua's custom was to go to the congregation each Shabbat. Now, are there sick days? You bet. Are there things that can come up? You bet. But what is the custom? And I've seen so many parents lately just not even want to go to service because they don't want to fight. You know what? Don't be afraid to have those battles with your kids at the congregation. That's where they need to happen. Remember when Yeshua stayed behind in the temple to Midrash with the scholars and his mother and father were looking for him. And Miriam finally finds him in the temple, you know, sitting down, just kicking it with the scribes. And she scolds him. And the point is, was she, you know, it's not whether she was right or wrong to scold him. I'm sure as a mom, she was right. From his point of view, it's like, what's your problem? I, I'm about the father's business. He thought, like, I'm doing the right thing here. But the point is, that scolding didn't scar him for life. He kept coming back at the feasts with his family to worship. When he had his own disciples, he kept going back to the temple to worship. Maybe his mom didn't understand why Yeshua needed to stay in the temple. But he wasn't resentful at his scolding. He loved his mother. He honored his mother. He loved her for trying to be a good mom and worrying about him. And One of the last things he did on the cross was to make sure she was going to be taken care of. And I think that's why it's important to tell our children even before they can understand it, because trust me, I've had the line before that, you know, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm like, I doubt it. (laughs) Parents know of a different kind of hurt from the child's point of view. This is hurting my backside or this is cramping my style because you're not letting me do this or that or have this or that. But if we'll go ahead and tell them anyway, you know, it's, It's probably been the same line for thousands of years. But tell them when we discipline them, we love them. Don't discipline when you're angry. Don't discipline because you're on a power trip. Wait until you're calm. And do the discipline then. Never discipline in anger. Because then it does become equated with a feeling. Remember, love is not always a feeling. Sometimes it's an action. We don't want to confuse the two. But what this discipline can do is drop a seed they will remember later. And they will look back and probably like Yeshua say, you know what? Mom was a little off base there. She needed to understand what I was about. She needed to know who I was and what I was doing. But Yeshua loved his mother. He understood that she did what she did because she loved him. And she was worried about him. Tell your children, I'm disciplining you. Because I love you, and I'm worried about you, and I'm worried that if if you can't even come to a congregational service and participate in these smaller things, if you can't, you know, a lot of people are homeschooling, but if you are in a public school or even a private school, I'm worried that you can't go to school and you can't get along with the other students or the teachers. That later, this will be a real problem. Because if if you can't accept instruction and correction from the people you have seen, how are you going to accept the no's, the big ones, the terrible no's of scripture? How How will you learn to discipline yourself? And see, discipline can be very creative, and it can fit the child's way of learning. My mom and dad had two different approaches. Mom's approach was a belt or a switch or whatever was at hand, fly swatter, coat hanger you name it if she could grab it it was fair game my dad talked to me which one was more effective talking to me if you could help me understand it i'd make a deal and he finally got her to understand that he was a lot he was quite a bit older than she was he was actually older than my grandpa so he had a lot more wisdom and experience and he knew you have to look at the individual child and say what makes him tick you find out what makes that child tick i said train up a child in the way he should go. Find out what the personality is. Find out what they respond to. Find out where their sense of justice is and appeal to that. Sometimes, because I said so, has to suffice. But it's not the answer to every why. They need to learn that, nope, so they won't run into the street. No, nope. so the dog won't bite them. But as they get older, remember, now they can understand some of the why's. Explain the why's and start explaining even before you think they can process it. They'll surprise you. I remember there was an age I reached. I mean, we didn't have a lot of anything like kids' church or anything like that growing up. I had to sit there and listen to the preacher preach. And mom would say, I know you don't understand much of what he's saying, but you're going to sit there and be respectful. And as it turned out, I understood way more than she thought I would because <laughs> just sitting there there's nothing else to do there's nothing else to distract you all you can do is sit there and listen and when there's nothing else you can do it actually improves what you can listen to and understand you start to absorb that language of the word and so she didn't realize it but she was planting seeds even before she thought she was she just thought it was a matter of like self discipline you can sit here for 30 minutes or you can sit here for 45 minutes and act like you're somebody. You're not going to squirm in the seat. You're not going to turn around. You're not going to draw. You're not going to, which, you know, a lot of that's age appropriate. But at a certain age, she says, this is what you're going to do. And I appreciate that now. I did not then. I thought I was dying then to sit still for 30 or 45 minutes without drawing. Wow. But I appreciate it now because the things she taught me, the discipline she taught me back then, it might seem to have not one thing to do with a commandment. To just like child behavior. But in the end, it did have something to do with the commandment. It taught me to honor her. Taught me how to listen. We will do and we will hear. I learned to hear her. I learned to obey her. And then, because there wasn't anything else to do, I learned to hear the word as the preacher preached it. Double barrel. Sometimes, it's because I said so, because the child is not ready to hear why. They can't process why. Explain if you can There's certain commandments that Adonai is going to give us that have no rational explanation of why. Some of them are perfectly logical. We know why you shouldn't steal because somebody's going to smack you upside the head. (laughs) Some things like kosher eating, where's the logic in it? And I've heard people do crazy acrobatics trying to figure out why it was okay to not eat kosher now. Like, well, back then they didn't have refrigerators. (laughs) Uh, no, no, it's just because he said so. And in time, he'll explain why. In time, we're going to accept both of them. We're going to accept the I said so's, and we're going to accept the ones that we just, man, it's awesome how we can get down in there and understand the value of that word. The the awesomeness of the yes, but until we understand the no's, thunder the no's. No, I will not. And if somebody says why, like, because he said so, I don't really understand yet. But you know what will happen? He'll start to explain it to you. And if your heart is tender and he begins to explain it to you, oh, wow, that's why we can't do that. This is such a great opportunity to teach faith to kids about the same process we go through with the father. You know, kids, sometimes I understand the commandment and why we need to do it or not do it. Sometimes I don't. There's going to be certain things I tell you you're not going to understand until you attain a certain age. Maybe when you're married. Maybe when you have children of your own, but trust me, I'm always here for your good. Whether I'm giving you a yes or a no, they're for your good. The same way the Father, he gives us a yes or a no for our good, whether we understand it or not. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. Information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.